This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 368. In today's episode, I went out this past week to do a freelance real estate shoot after a realtor contacted me to help spruce up the listing for a home here in the local area. Now, it's a beautiful home owned by a local elderly couple who is looking to sell and they thought they could save some money by shooting their own photos with their smartphone. And the images turned out really noisy. I mean, just not good at all. And the realtor even told me they have not had any interest in the property after three months of being on the market. So word of advice, folks, if you want to sell your home, have professional photos taken to make it easier to sell your home. The realtor for this job told me that they had had, like I said, no bites on the property in three months, and she said she knew it was because the bad quality images, as the house itself is beautiful. But with bad images, the home will be harder to sell as buyers cannot get a good feel for how nice the home is with really poor quality images. Now, when you look at the thumbnails on the realtor listing online, the images look decent as they look, you know, because they do look bright and all that. But when you pull up the expanded view of the images to see the details, you can see that the lighting was actually bad because the images, like I mentioned a moment ago, have tons of noise in them. Now, one of the things that makes it trickier is the fact that the sellers are still living in the home, so it's completely furnished. Now, if you don't already know this, furniture is going to cause problems when capturing images as it can end up absorbing too much of the ambient light. The human eye can see the home well because it's in of its enhanced dynamic range, but trying to translate that into good images with the much lower dynamic range of a camera sensor makes the job a lot tougher. This is where having a professional photographer capture the images will help make the listing look better, as you have to introduce more light into the rooms in order to get good quality images. Now, for this shoot, I took along a pair of uh, Ziyun, I think they're pronounced Ziyun, Mollus lights that I got on Amazon a little while back. Now, these are continuous lights. But with using continuous lights, I can bounce them off the ceiling just like I would a speed light, and you can introduce more powerful light into each room to get better quality images without all the excess noise. Now, the nice thing about these lights is they are adjustable. You can modify the Kelvin um, output of the light so you could make it more warm or more cool. I prefer to shoot at about 5600 Kelvin, which is natural white daylight. And you could also adjust the intensity of the lights as well from zero all the way up to 100% output. And even though they're small battery powered lights, they're extremely powerful and they do put out a lot of light. I mean, a lot. 
So you have to remember to keep in mind that in order to have everything in focus, you need an aperture of f8 for real estate photography. But when you use the added light and also have the camera mounted on a tripod or monopod, you'll be able to use slower shutter speeds. So it'll help make the images brighten up even more because you have to compensate for that f8 aperture that you need in order to get everything inside the home in sharp focus. So you got to remember to keep all that stuff in line. Now, you still may have to bump up your ISO a little bit, but you're not going to have to go ridiculously high. You know, you might have to bump it up to 200, 400, 800, something like that. But you're not going to have to bump it up high enough that you're going to introduce a boat ton of noise into your images. That's just going to make it a lot easier, a lot better, and you're going to get better quality images. Now, ever since we moved to Roxborough, my real estate work has been pretty much non-existent as we live too far from the major cities. So Planomatic hadn't been using me to shoot for a couple of years now. But I recently got an email from them that they now have a sister company that does real estate photography for realtors and homeowners like this freelance gig that I did. And I asked them to share my information over to their sister company as I am interested but I haven't heard anything just yet. Now, I do prefer to be a freelancer as I make more money that way, and I like working with people. Hopefully, if I'm lucky, this gig will help the house sell quickly and the realtor will send me some more work. Only time will tell. Now, I had looked into shooting for realtors in this local area when we first moved up here, but most of them already have contracts with photography service companies that handle their listings. I think the reason I got this gig is because the realtor is based out of Colorado. She doesn't have any service providers in this area. All right, so enough about real estate photography. I don't want to bore my listeners to death talking about real estate shooting. Now, this past week, I also had to wrap up shooting with the Fujifilm X-S20 camera and the new Fujinon X-F 8mm f3.5 lens. Now, I do want to thank Daniel Carpenter from Fujifilm USA for making it possible for me to borrow that gear for three weeks. And I must say that after three weeks shooting with the XS20, I can appreciate its capabilities. Now, it may be more of a consumer level body, but it still has a lot to offer. With the slightly larger hand grip than the XS10, which allows the XS20 to have the larger NPW235 battery, and also makes the ergonomics much better as well. Now, the native log mode on the XS20 is also very nice and makes the autofocus really good on par with that of Canon's dual pixel AF system, allowing it to easily switch between yourself and anything else that you hold up in front of the lens and then back to you again when you put the object back down. It's, I think they call it their product showcase mode or something like that. I can't remember. They all have different weird names for the, that particular autofocus mode. I can't remember if it's them that call it product showcase or if it's Sony that does, but whatever. Now, as far as the XF 8mm 3.5 lens for the Fujifilm X mount goes, when it was first announced, I didn't think I would like this lens and that it was totally unnecessary. A lens that nobody was asking for. But I must say, it is a very good lens. It's very compact and lightweight, as I've mentioned before, 
And although its maximum aperture is only f3.5 versus f2.8, even at f3.5, you can use this lens in some very low light situations. Now the AF is fast and responsive, and I also love the aperture ring on the barrel of the lens as well, since it is one of my favorite features on many of Fujifilm's lenses. The 8mm makes some really great landscapes, as well as architectural photography. And although I didn't try it myself, I'm sure it would be good for our great lens for astrophotography as well. But you'd have to try that out for yourself. As I said, I didn't do any astrophotography while I had the lens in my possession. But I could see that it would definitely come in handy for that kind of photography. Now, something that is really awesome is the fact that the 8mm lens retails for $800. Now, is this a good deal since the lenses and coatings that Fujifilm uses allow the lens to control ghosting and flaring in bright sunlight and makes for images that are sharp and contrasty from the center to the corners of the frame? Absolutely. I mean, you can't, you can't knock that at all. Not $800 for a lens of this quality. And with it being a 12 millimeter in full frame field of view, this lens is also, like I said, it's awesome for real estate photography. Since in many subdivisions, you have homes with extremely short backyards, making it difficult to shoot the entire back of the home and get everything into the frame. I mean, some of the properties I shot when I lived in the Atlanta area had, Atlanta area had insanely short backyards of only like four to six feet as the homes were built near a ravine or cliff. Now, I've never understood why someone would build a home that close to a massive drop-off, but I don't know, maybe it's just me. Now, I could also see this lens coming in handy for my Forgotten Pieces projects, since it is very wide and would make capturing very large buildings super easy if I shot my projects with my APS-C bodies, which I don't. I use my medium format GFX 50R for that work. I just really love the increased dynamic range of my 50R and the beautiful images I can get with its massive 50 megapixel sensor. Now, I am definitely bummed that it doesn't look like Fujifilm will ever make a 50R Mark II, but maybe the next GFX 100 coming out in September will be a rangefinder style body with phase detect autofocus and a new generation of their 100 megapixel sensor. It would also be nice if they could offer it at the same $4,500 price point of the 50R. I know, I know, wishful thinking, but hey, what can I tell you? Uh, now, Tina and I are headed up north for a couple of weeks for Labor Day to spend time with our kids, grandkids, and our moms. We like making the trip up home, but as we get older, we cut back on going so many times per year. We used to go up four times a year, and this is our third trip this year, but Tina wants to cut it back to two times starting next year. Now, we stopped going over up over Christmas as three years in a row, we caught nasty colds that lingered on for months, which was absolutely no fun. But on the upside, it will also give me a chance to use my new DJI Osmo Action 4 camera some more for my YouTube content. So we'll see how that turns out. Now, I did recently use it for my two videos for this past week, as I forgot my Rode Video Mic Pro Plus, 
And the videos that I shot this past week with my Osmo Action 4 turned out really, really well. Now I'm going to take a short break right here and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. You can visit the homepage at liamphotographypodcast.com for show notes and links. If you have questions, comments, or requests for topics or future guests you'd like to hear on the show, you can email me at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. Also, be sure to check out the liamphotographypodcast.com Facebook group, and you can find me on Twitter at liamphotoatl. You can tweet the show just just insert the hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. All right, and we're back. So, Sony this past week released two new cameras the A7C Mark II and the A7C R, adding to their continuing lineup of new camera bodies. They're continually growing, I should say. So, what are the main features of the A7C Mark II? Now, it's equipped with a full-frame, back-illuminated Exmor R CMOS sensor with approximately 33 effective megapixels and the latest Bionez XR image processing, processing engine to achieve high image performance. Now, for capturing either stills or video, users can easily enjoy high-quality image capture in a wide range of scenes, such as travel and daily snapshots. Now, when compared to the uh, uh, A7 IV, which is approximately 5.1 inches by 3.8 inches by 3.2 inches and weighs about 1.54 pounds, the A7C Mark II is approximately 22% lighter and has approximately 45% less volume. Now, the standard ISO sensitivities range from 100 to 51,200 for both still images and video. And you can expand it to ISO 50 to 204,800 Super Snowstorm for still images, enabling high sensitivity, noise-free shooting. I don't know about noise-free. Now, we, now when you're up to 204,000 ISO, you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be in a digital blizzard at that point. Okay, so main features of the Alpha or the A7CR. Now this one's equipped with a full-frame back-illuminated Exmor R CMOS sensor that's 61 effective megapixels with the latest Bionez XR image processing engine to achieve high-resolution and high-definition imaging performance. Now, compared to the A7R5, which is approximately 5.25 inches by 3.87 inches by 3.25 inches and weighs 1.6 pounds, the A7CR is approximately 29% lighter and has approximately 53% less volume. Now, the standard ISO sensitivity ranges from 100 to 32,000 for both still images and movies, and you can expand that from ISO 50 to 102,400 for still images, which again, you're going to be in a digital snowstorm at that point. Now, in addition, with seven Step, uh, stops of optical image correction or uh, IBIS in the body. That's five axis, of course. You can get even more stable footage, whether you're shooting video or stills. Even slight blurring at the one pixel level is detected and corrected. So 
that's pretty impressive. Now, it's equipped with pixel shift multi-shooting that makes multiple images and combines them on a PC to create an ultra-high-resolution image. And by combining with the grip extension GPX2 included with the, uh, the A7CR, you can shoot comfortably with stable and stay and hold the camera more stable. Ah, got a little bit tongue tied there. <laughs> uh, you can uh, shoot comfortably with a stable hold, even when shooting for long periods of time or when you're using a larger telephoto lens. Now, you know, you know, from all the years I shot motorsports, the large lenses can be heavy and really difficult to hold steady. If you're trying to do handheld photography, it's it's going to get rough on you. That's for sure. Now, common features of both the A7C Mark II and the A7CR, number one, compact size and high mobility. Both models are easy to handle and easy to carry. Compact size, both models are approximately 4.88 inches wide by 2.8 inches high and 2.5 inches deep, and they both weigh approximately 18.1 ounces, which is impressive. That's a fairly lightweight camera body, you know, just a hair over a pound. Uh, now, that's for the, uh, the A7C2, and it's 18.2 ounces for the A7CR, so they're within you know, one point of each, point one of each other. Now, when combined with the wide angle zoom lens, the FE 16 to 35 F 2.8 GM Mark II announced also this week, it achieves the excellent image expression and high speed AF that are unique to Sony's G Master series of lenses with the brightness of F 2.8 at the entire zoom range. The user can choose their favorite lenses from Sony's extensive email series of more than 70 lenses and enjoy a wide variety of image expressions in both still images and video capture. Number two, AF performance with improved subject recognition performance thanks to built-in AI processing unit. Now, both these bodies are equipped with the same AI processing unit as the A7R5, which recognizes subjects with high accuracy with real-time recognition AF. For example, when taking a picture of a person, even if the subject strikes a complicated pose or their face is hidden, human pose estimation technology can be used to capture and track the subject with very high accuracy. In addition to the existing tracking capabilities for people and animals already found in the A7C series of cameras, it is now possible to recognize birds, insects, cars, trains, and airplanes as subjects in these two new models. Number three, advanced video performance. The A7C Mark II and the A7CR condense high resolution and detailed video data equivalent to 7K and 6K respectively, and can output high quality 4K video equipped with S-Log3, which supports a wide latitude of 14 plus stops. It renders rich gradation with little, over, little chance of overexposure, so you can get good quality video even in scenes with co sharp contrast. Also in log shooting mode, the LUT imported by the user can be displayed on the camera monitor image, allowing the user to shoot while checking the finished image in post-production. In addition, it's equipped with S-Syntone, a unique Sony feature which can create a cinematic look straight out of the camera with no post-processing necessary.
Based on Sony's Cinema Line technology, S-Syntone delivers natural midtones that are essential to healthy-looking skin color and deliver cinematic quality. It also features creative look, which allows you to easily change the look and feel of video and still images. Number four, operability and connectivity. Equipped with a touch-operable vari-angle LCD monitor, intuitive operation with the latest touch menu supports comfortable shooting. In addition to the new front dial that allows the user to assign their favorite functions, the still image movie S and Q switch dial, and an XGA high-resolution viewfinder as well. The camera is extremely easy to use with these new features. The camera is equipped with a seven-step optical five-axis in-body image stabilization to support stable camera work when shooting video or stills. In terms of connectivity, the camera is compatible with the smartphone application creator's app that uploads video and still images taken with the camera to a cloud service while allowing remote camera operation and image transfer from the camera to mobile devices. By the end of September 2023, Sony plans to support a new version of the software development kit, Camera Remote SDK, that enables remote operation and settings adjustments. Number five, designed with environmentally friendly principles in mind, over the past 11 years, Sony has replaced approximately 395 tons of virgin plastic with recycled plastic to help cut down on waste in digital cameras and digital video cameras. Recycled materials, including Sorplas, which is a Sony product, are used for the camera body, reducing environmental impact without sacrificing functionality. In addition to being equipped with Sony's screen reader function that reads menus and video playback screens allowed to assist operations, a new menu magnify display function has been added to support the creative activities of a variety of content creators. Now, as far as pricing and availability, the A7C2 will be available in the fall of 2023 at a variety of Sony's authorized dealers. The camera only will sell for $2199.99. In U.S. dollars, $29.99.99 in Canadian dollars. Uh, the camera with the 28 to 60 lens will be $24.99.99 U.S. and $33.99.99 Canadian. The new A7CR will be available as well this fall at a variety of Sony authorized dealers. The camera only will be $29.99 and in U.S. dollars and $4,099 in Canadian dollars. The new GPX2 extension will be available in the fall at a variety of Sony authorized dealers for $159.99 U.S. or $214.99 Canadian. Now, we also have two new events coming up soon with both the next Fujifilm X Summit coming on September 12th, 2023, as well as Apple's iPhone event on the exact same day. Now, during Fujifilm's X Summit, they are expected to announce the third generation GFX 100 body, as well as two to three more GF lenses for their medium format system. There is also the possibility they may announce some new X gear as well. Now, as far as the Apple event is concerned, Apple is expected, of course, to announce their line of iPhone 15 models for this fall and to talk some more about their new operating systems for this year as well. I have been personally te beta testing the new iOS 17, iPad OS 17, and watchOS 10, and I have, for the most part, been enjoying using them. I wish Apple would fix the bug in watchOS that's been around since version 9, 
where the watch will not stay connected to the same Wi-Fi network that its paired iPhone is on. Now, according to rumors, the new iPhone 15 Pro Max is supposed to also support a new periscope lens offering six times optical zoom, as well as the addition of the action button like my Apple Watch Ultra has, which will allow for some new possibilities. Now, on my Apple Watch Ultra, I use the action button for GPS waypoints when I'm out shooting and hiking in nature doing wildlife photography. Now, for an interesting development on the Canon front, it seems Canon is finally reversing their policy on not allowing third-party lens makers to make autofocus lenses for the RF mount, but there are some conditions. A manufacturer has to apply for a license for the RF mount from Canon, and it seems that Canon treats each application on a case-by-case basis and that there are no rigid guidelines on how to qualify for approval. What are decisions based on? I have no idea. I don't want to guess, but there are likely to be some quick assumptions to be made. Now, what isn't mentioned is what the licensing grants the third-party manufacturer. Will the manufacturers be on their own to come up with the autofocus algorithms, or will Canon provide those? Would there be ongoing Canon support through firmware compatibility updates? Perhaps there could be different tiers of licensing. There is also mention that Canon will only approve lenses uh, from third-party makers that don't compete with theirs. So someone like Tamron, Sigma, or Viltrox cannot make any lenses in the same focal lengths as Canon. This means both current lenses and future lenses that Canon may be planning on releasing. So although Viltrox could now offer their AF 75mm f1.2 Pro lens for the Canon RF mount, which they already have it available for the Fujifilm X mount, as well as the Nikon and Sony mounts. Now, this also would mean that none of the third-party makers would be allowed to make a 70-200 f2.8, so don't count on getting much less expensive lenses in any existing or future planned focal lengths. This means that for the most part, third-party lens makers' hands will still be tied quite a bit. Now, on the Fujifilm front, Patrick from FujiRumors.com released a video this week saying that according to his sources, there will be a new film simulation released as part of their third-generation GFX100 body that's being announced on September 12th, 2023. This new film simulation will be called Riala. Riala was a film stock that Fujifilm offered up until 2012 that was popular with wedding photographers especially, and it was available as Riala Ace and Riala Superior. The original film was Fujifilm's first with fourth layer technology for exceptional color accuracy, uh, especially in fluorescent lighting, so you didn't end up with any green cast going on in your images. So it would be definitely cool to see if they do add that as a new film simulation. And then, of course, the magic question is, will they offer for other bodies or only for the GFX 100 which is what I'm calling this new body for now. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. They may trickle it down to the other fifth generation bodies like the X-H2 and the X-H2S and the X-T5, but we'll have to wait and see. 
Now, let's look at a couple of news stories for this week from Petapixel. The GR3 is so popular, Rico can't keep it in stock. The Rico GR3, a compact point-and-shoot camera originally brought to market in 2019, is proving so popular that the company can't keep it stocked on store shelves around the world. According to Absinet, the GR3 has become so sought after in China and Japan that estimated delivery dates are months out. In Japan, some stores are so uncertain of when they might arrive, they're unable to provide an estimated shipping date. Now, it's not clear what is driving up the demand for the GR3 specifically, uh, but it might be the overall increase in demand for cameras around the world, led mainly by a surge in China. Now, earlier this year, Ricoh apparently told fans in China that its manufacturing facilities were unable to keep up with the market demand, which caused inventory shortages both there and around the world. Now, one theory for the sudden boost in popularity for the four-year-old camera is that it might have been considered a viable alternative to the popular Fujifilm X100V, which has been extremely difficult to find ever since it exploded in popularity late last year. Even nearly a year later, the compact Fujifilm point-and-shoot remains on back order from multiple dealers around the world. Now, considering the Ricoh GR3 is similar to the X100V, and that is a fixed wide-angle lens compact camera equipped with an APS-C sensor and a leaf shutter, those who are struggling to find an X100V may have turned to Ricoh for a substitute. That, in turn, has pushed Ricoh to the brink of its manufacturing. The GR3 was also already popular among photography enthusiasts since it combines high image quality and performance in a small package. Of note, the lack of supply of the GR3 seems relatively recent, at least in the United States. Earlier this year, the company launched a standalone Diary Edition GR3 that joined the Street and Urban Edition versions that were released in the years prior. At the time, all of those versions were still available on Ricoh's website and through dealers, but today that is not the case. All three models are on back order. The GR3 can still be picked up, but with a short delay. If the demand for the camera continues at this pace, it likely won't be long until the camera becomes difficult to find in the U.S., as it is in China and Japan. And I do agree. I think a lot of the reason why it's in such high demand is because people think of it as a somewhat viable alternative to the X100V. Now, the one thing that I give pause about is I've seen a lot of information on this body, and this camera body has a lot of issues. It has issues with some of the function buttons or dials not working properly. It also has a habit of somehow getting dust inside the lens that shows up in your images, which is weird because it's a permanently attached lens. You'd think it would be sealed properly, but... That doesn't seem to be the case. Now, it doesn't mention in this article if there's also a shortage of the GR3X. It only mentions the Diary Street and Urban Editions, although I'm not sure the X might be the Urban Edition. I'm not 100% certain on that. The Ulanzi 40-watt LED COB is an affordable portable video light. The LT028 by Ulanzi Group is a 40-watt portable COB LED video light that was designed to be a lightweight and versatile lighting solution for content creators, photographers, videographers, and even streamers who need an affordable lighting solution that can be repositioned with incredible ease. 
The Ulanzi LT028 LED video light has a rather unique value position as it promises users an unrivaled combination of power, portability, portability and convenience. Now, unlike other professional-grade lighting equipment on the market, since the $99 Ulanzi LED light has a built-in 3,400 milliamp-hour battery, it eliminates the need for external power source during shoots and give users up to 70 to 75 minutes of consistent lighting with next to no noise at full power, up from five hours life at its minimum brightness. Uh, furthermore, its compact size and design make it extremely portable and easy to carry in any gear bag, ensuring that professional lighting is always within reach for photographers and videographers no matter where they are shooting. This blend of high-performance lighting and portable design makes the Ulanzi 40-watt LED light an unmatched tool for on-the-go professional shooting. The travel-sized 40-watt COB light uh, video light from Ulanzi weighs just 460 grams and it ships in a simple and minimalist design box that includes the cube-shaped light itself, a reflector with mini Bowens-esque style mount, a silicon light dome that attaches to the reflector for diffusion, and a power-slash-charging cable. The silicone dome can be easily packed in pretty much any pocket or container with ease and snaps back into form quickly once taken out. It features a small groove that clips over the outer edge of the included reflector to provide some simple diffusion when shooting in the wild. The main body of the light is built with lightweight plastic that features a metal quarter-inch mount on the bottom for connecting it to a tripod, light stand, or even a multi-use arm or accessory mounts, so it can be attached to things like gimbals or practically any other sort of connection that you find that accommodates that connection type which would also include the wonderful Platypod products, including the Platypod tri flat tripod and its gooseneck arms. While the reflector can be removed rather easily, the light doesn't ship with a protective cover for the LED itself. So when traveling, it might be in your best interest to leave the metal reflector connected to the light with a silicone dome tucked into it, just to be sure no harm comes to the device while in transit. The light features a ton of ventilation and heat dissipation plates to ensure it doesn't run too hot, and even after running the light on full power for over 30 to 40 minutes, there was next to no noise at all coming from the cooling systems. I literally had to put the light directly up to my ear to be sure the fans were even running. It was that quiet. Now, the rear of the light is where you'll find a simple set of manual-only controls that includes the power switch, the CCT color temperature dial, and the dim dial for 1% to 100% power intensity. On the very bottom left corner of the back plate, you'll find the DC plug where the power charging cable connects. In addition to these controls, if users click the CCT dial, a new menu will pop up on the LED screen that gives access to a set of eight different special effects scenes. That include lightning, TV, candle, faulty light bulb, strobe, paparazzi, emergency lights, and an HL beam. The LED screen itself intuitively dims itself after a few seconds of not being adjusted to conserve battery life and prevent any potential distractions while in use. The information displayed on the screen is rather simple and to the point. In the SFX modes, it displays the FS. SFX scene that you're in with an intensity level and the CCT mode shows the color temperature and intensity or power level. Both menus show a battery life indicator in the top right corner of the screen so you can easily keep tabs on how much life is left on the charge 
so you know when to plug it back in. The light features an adjustable color temperature range of 2500 to 6500 Kelvin with a CRI of 95 to 96, TLCI and a maximum brightness of about 13,000 lux at full power with the temp of 6500 Kelvin and the reflector attached. The battery itself takes about three hours to charge to full from empty. The good news is, though, the light can be used while it's plugged in and charging without any negative effects on the battery. The LT028 LED light from Yulanzi sits in an in interesting position for both beginner and amateur creatives and working professionals by offering its users a surprisingly affordable way to create affordable and creative light setups in both indoor and outdoor scenarios. Its small size and universal mount connection means you can place it anywhere from a tripod or light stand to a small multi-arm or clamp or even a suction cup mount system, letting you light multiple shooting scenarios while battery operated or connected to direct power. While it's not strong enough to compete against direct sunlight, it can be used as a nice fill light in even some of the most complicated and difficult lighting situations. With so many different LED lights on the market, the Ulanzi 40-watt LED video light gives its users a unique creative position by offering a compact and travel-friendly system that is actually impressively bright, color temperature adjustable light that can run with direct power power packs or by leveraging a built-in battery. If you compare it to some competing lights like the Zhiyun Molus G60 uh, for $199, the Aperture Aramen 60D at $169, or the Godox ML60BI at $299, the Nanlite Forza 60B for $319, the Ulanzi gets professional lighting effect and long-lasting use experience at one-third to one-quarter of the price of its competitors, giving them much more bang for their buck. Because of its low cost and tiny footprint, users can place these lights in permanent positions to light an at-home studio setup and still have money for extras to bring with them for on-location setups. Now, where can you get it? The Ulanzi LT028 40-watt portable LED video light is available to order now for $99.95. And it is an interesting-looking light. Now, I do really like Ulanzi products. I have some of their smaller video lights, uh, a couple of their cube lights, as well as their panel lights. And they are very impressive and very handy lights to have as part of your overall kit. So you definitely might want to check these lights out for yourself. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group you can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on instagram facebook and twitter at liamphotoatl if you like abandoned buildings and history you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com
All right, folks, that's it for episode 368 of the Land Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. I also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, and turn on all notifications. I will be announcing my next giveaway in September or October, so you definitely don't want to miss that announcement, so you can make sure you get your entries in early. So definitely stop by and subscribe to the channel, and again, turn on all those notifications. All right, over the next two weeks, Tina and I will be on vacation, so I'll probably be posting replay episodes once again, um, and then we'll be back uh, around the 18th of September, somewhere around there, so that week I will be back with a new episode for that Thursday. All right, that's it, everybody. I will see you all next time. <laughs>